So then, approaching 8.19, and according to the United States over the weekend, China agreed to return a U.S. underwater drone that it seized in international waters in the South China Sea, although Chinese officials said to the U.S. not to hype up the issue. This might just be another sign of the escalating conflict that perhaps we can expect to go even further under a Donald Trump presidency. And... What's more concerning is what that will mean for Chinese attitudes towards North Korea, especially with Beijing being so important with the latest sanctions against Pyongyang. Gordon Chang is an analyst on China specifically, the author of The Coming Collapse of China and a previous guest on our show. Great to have you on the line again with us. Thank you so much. So, uh, I mean, just this particular incident first, we'll, we'll broaden the issue out in a moment, but this uh, this case of the underwater drone and then Donald Trump tweeting, uh, his uh, spelling getting as much attention as anything else with that tweet of his use of the word unprecedented rather than unprecedented, but uh, how do you see the whole furore? Well, this is important because, you know, China has grabbed a sovereign U.S. vessel in international water. And so this is an act of piracy. It's an act of war, which is not to say that we need to go to war over it, but we do need to impose costs on China because China for this century has engaged in a course of conduct which is putting American servicemen and women in harm's way. And so something needs to be done about this. Got to remember, China has this ludicrous claim to 85% of the South China Sea because of its nine-dash line claim, which was invalidated by The Hague in July of this year. But this was even outside of that claim, which really means that China has become lawless. Something has to be done. Yeah, well, China's also, uh, through satellite imagery, we can see placed... Um some military installations on those fake islands that it's been constructing in the South China Sea. That's something that was predicted for a long time, but it just seems so brazen again, doesn't it? It does. You know, China has um, valid claims to some of those features, um, but also some of those features it doesn't have good claims to. And this is a, a complicated issue. You know, other countries are also have got claims in the area. I'm not so worried about the militarization of these features as I am about China's infringement on freedom of navigation. You know, this is what it keeps the world together and China trying to keep other countries out of the South China Sea. This is eventually going to be a problem, especially if China is successful at this, because that really challenges the international architecture that has guaranteed peace and stability for not only Asia, but for the world um, since the end of the Second World War. But, I mean, just again on that artificial island point, in the past uh, we would see conflicts over countries invading strategic assets, for example. Uh, now what China seems to be doing is, is building them. Um, can it just simply get away with that? Um, well, so far it's been doing a pretty good job of getting away with it. Where um, this is a real critical issue is where China has used force to grab some of these possessions. So, for instance, Mischief Reef from the Philippines in the early 1990s, and most recently Scarborough Shoal in 2012, and there were a series of conflicts between China, excuse me, China and Vietnam in the South China Sea. So it's the use of force which I think is the critical factor, mm. and, and that, um, of course, challenges uh, peace and stability by China trying to redraw the map through its army and navy. So we're talking about taking a tougher stance, uh, holding Beijing to account. How exactly does anyone 
do that, even the United States under incoming President Donald Trump? Well, I, I think, it, first of all, it means the, no one should be afraid of China. Um, the United States has had a policy of trying to integrate China into the international system. <laughs> Excuse me. And that policy has ultimately resulted in the United States not complaining about unacceptable behavior on the part of Beijing. Beijing has been doing certain things um, which challenge the international system, really the core of the way the world works. And, you know, I think the United States needs to impose those costs. So, for instance, when we get to the issue of North Korea, you have Chinese entities that have been selling the North Koreans uranium, uh, vacuum pumps, valves, uh, perhaps the plans for North Korea's submarine-launched ballistic missile, uh, and Chinese banks have been involved in illicit commerce. Uh, the United States needs to impose sanctions on these entities, including the Chinese banks. And if we're not willing to do that, we're basically saying we're not serious about North Korea. You know, there are a number of other issues where China's involved in, in clearly unacceptable behavior. We just need to have a new view of China, that China is not going to be stopped until it is stopped. And we have not been able to do that. Yes. Well, again, uh, people do seem to be afraid of, of taking on Beijing or unable to. Uh, it has this hugely important role on the world stage as far as trade is concerned. And, and I'm coming back to you, the title of your book, The Coming Collapse of China. Um, what do you see as Beijing's end game and how much of a role will its own economic challenges place on that? Well, I think China clearly wants to dominate um, its peripheral seas. Um, it wants to control, for instance, South Korean waters. Um, you know, it regularly sends its fishing fleets into South Korea's exclusive economic zone, and it doesn't really have very many, much problem with killing South Korean Coast Guardsmen. So, you know, essentially what you would have is a militarily aggressive state um, dominating and dismembering its neighbors. That's its end game, And its ambitions, indeed, are growing bigger because... You know, it was first of all Taiwan, then became the South China Sea. Now they're talking, officially they're talking about taking Okinawa and the rest of the Ryukyu chain from Japan. And there are murmurs in Beijing of getting back Vladivostok and a good portion of the rest of Siberia. Who knows where China's territorial ambitions end? I think part of the problem is that the Communist Party has um, no longer can ensure the continual delivery of prosperity which really means the only remaining basis of legitimacy is nationalism. And that's why I think we're seeing a much more provocative Beijing. Also, there's an incomplete leadership transition from Hu Jintao to Xi Jinping, the current leader. And because of that, we see military officers becoming much more influential in policy circles in Beijing. So a lot of things are going off the rails for China. And that is an issue not only for the United States, but of course for China's neighbors. Of course, uh, what we're seeing with North Korea is a continued advancement of its own weapon technology, and it's not, I don't think, 100% under Chinese control by any stretch. I mean, it's probably significantly lower than 100, that figure. And uh, sometimes it's an uneasy relationship between Pyongyang and Beijing, maybe a, a relationship of mutual interest or mutual need at times, as much as it is about affection. Um, but as we get to a more dangerous North Korea, what, what will that do to the U.S. stance on both Pyongyang and Beijing, do you think, potentially under Donald well, Trump? Yeah, um, well, e even forget Donald Trump. Think about President Obama. Um, the Treasury Department and the Justice Department on September 26 imposed sanctions on a small fried Chinese company. Um, which was involved in money laundering. But the United States 
did not impose, and this is significant, did not impose sanctions on Chinese banks, which were involved in that illicit commerce. So um, this is a sign to Beijing that the United States um, is only willing to go so far. And, and this is a problem. You know, the United States needs to make a determination whether it wants to be friends with China or whether it wants to disarm North Korea. But you can't do both. And I think that essentially the only way we're going to get the attention of the Chinese is to impose real costs on Beijing. When yeah. we do that, then we have a chance of actually getting uh, a better solution to what's going on. How important is South Korea's role as we enter very uncertain political waters here? Absolutely critical. Uh, the United States, um, Japan, South Korea need to have a united front if they have any chance of actually pushing North Korea in better directions. Which is not to say that a united front is going to be successful. It's just that it is a precondition to this. Because one thing, it will show China that it is outnumbered. At this time, uh, the Chinese and the North Koreans have been very good in keeping these three countries apart. And they got to be on the same page if there is going to be a solution. Thank you so much again, Mr. Chang, for speaking with us today. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Gordon Chang, the author of The Coming Collapse of China, to give that title again. And at the moment, of course, uh, China's looking rather more, uh, some would say belligerent, others would say defiant. I think overall we can say still very much a force to be reckoned with. You can share your thoughts right now, Pandasharp1013 for 51 per message.